Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Brother Chuck Bryant. Brother Chuck, how are you doing today? Josh Odie, I'm doing just fine. (laughs) So you know what I was going to lead with, huh? I just had Josh Odie ready at the ready. Okay. (laughs) You'll understand everybody in a second, right? Chuck, I guess Chuck Odie. I know you know this, but let's go back to the night of March 23rd, 1997. Do you know what happened in Rancho Santa Fe? A suburb, a suburb of, of San Diego that night. I do. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, 39 people, well, beginning that night, over three days beginning that night, 39 people gave up their lives, mm-hmm. uh, and they are they were collectively known as Heaven's Gate. They were the members of the Heaven's Gate cult. Yes. Famously wore those uh, black Nikes. Yeah. Um and beginning on March 23rd, which was the spring solstice, the vernal equinox, uh-huh. um, a comet was coming by. Hale-Bopp. A Hale-Bopp comet. Yeah. And what the Heaven's Gate members believed was that um, flying, using the comet as cover, was a spaceship that they could go rendezvous with the pilots and basically um, be picked up as spirits and attached to the pilots of this spaceship. Right. Because the world was coming to an end here, and they needed to get out of here. Right. Uh, but they had to commit ritualistic suicide. So on the first night, about a third of them uh, took a combination of applesauce and um, pharmaceuticals and I think Jack Daniels or something okay. uh, and died and for good measure put bags over their heads. Right. Uh, and then once they were dead, the other members cleaned them up and so on. Um, and this happened for three nights in a row until 39 people were dead and found in this mansion. Um, two didn't didn't make it. They weren't there or something. Oh, really? And they went and got a hotel room and killed themselves in the desert like a month later. Interesting. Um, but what's what's interesting about Heaven's Gate is that they – all of these were suicides. There was no murder. And right. if you go back and look at um, what are called like their exit videos, uh-huh. there's about 10 hours of tape of the members talking and they seem very excited about what they're going to do. Seem very at peace. It's disturbing to watch now, but they seem very relaxed, right. very in, at peace, and very much like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so aside from, e- even though these these were um, these weren't forced, they were suicides, and because it ended in a um, apocalyptic su- mass suicide pact, mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate would be what's called a destructive cult, which were. Although it's titled How Cults Work, this episode is actually about destructive cults. Yeah, the ones that are, get all the press. One reason why we're gonna, we need to make that differentiation is because in a lot of ways, um, the, or in a lot of cases, the only difference between a cult and a religion is whether or not it's mainstream, right? Careful. But <laughs> it's true. Well, there's a few differences. Mainstream is one. Right. Uh, Usually, a mainstream religion will have a, a hierarchy, mm-hmm. whereas a cult will have the single leader. Sure. And the hierarchy, in, in theory, keeps uh, one another in check. Right. And uh, the cults usually demand absolute um, commitment. Right. Like from, you live there. Yeah. And whereas a mainstream religion generally does not require that. You can have your own home. 
Okay. So not, we're not saying that it's the same thing as religion. Just no, but if you are a sociologist, a psychologist, um, and you really, there's going to be very little distinction yeah. between the two. True. Um, so that's not the case, though, with um, destructive or totalist cults, right? No, no, they're very different. To- right, they are. You you can make the case that a religion or a non-destructive cult um, helps its members uh, get over their vulnerabilities, I think is how it was put in this article, mm-hmm. through spiritual guidance, support. It's a good place of growth is what it's intended to be. Yes. Uh, a destructive cult is basically um, run by a person with the intent of absolute control over the members. In a complete surrender of their will. I have a question, and it's, this is a good time to put it in there. I wonder sometimes, because we're going to talk about cult leaders specifically in a bit, but I wonder if the cult leader, and I think it, it varies, actually believes, like when I see Marshall Applewhite, I think he really believed this stuff. He seemed to. When I see a Jim Jones, he seems like a huckster. Well, he was on a lot of drugs. On drugs, uh, having sex with multiple women. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, kind Marshall of Applewhite was not having sex with multiple women. He was a eunuch. <laughs> and not uh, into women. Yeah, sure. Um, but my point is, like, the cult leader, I guess, varies. Sometimes they really actually believe that. Right. And sometimes they're, you know, manipulators who are power hungry and, and maybe after money or what have you. Right. And I think that there's probably a transition that any cult leader would undergo as the power and loyalty grows. Yeah. And even if you are a huckster, you're eventually going to start buying into your own hype just because it's so appealing. Yeah. You know? Good point. But yeah, I think that is a great point to, to put in there, Chuck, that there are cult leaders out there who believe in what they're saying. Sure. Um, so we've, we've said basically the primary characteristic of a destructive cult is that there's, uh, absolute control over the members. Yes. A, a, a surrender of will. Mm-hmm. Um, to the group, and ultimately to the leader, right? Who is this, the leader? <laughs> is that time? Yeah. Okay. No, 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 leader. We mentioned the Simpsons. The, what, the movementarians? Yeah. Remember the- yeah. Great episode. <laughs> the flying bikes, the hover bikes? Yeah. With the, the comb and the wax paper. <laughs> so Simpsons fans, hold your emails. Yes, we, we did it. mentioned it. Covered, right? But um, so let's let's talk about um, I guess this authoritarian leadership structure you you might call it. What are the hallmarks of it? Well, it's one of the hallmarks is like we said it's it's typically just one dude, and we say dude because it's usually a man. Although there are some um, instances that's not true. We'll get to those in a minute. That's right, and uh, that's one of the problems because uh, power. We've seen it time and time again can corrupt uh, even the most pure at heart. Yes. And a lot of these aren't pure at heart to begin with. And then uh, another problem here is that they're, they operate outside the mainstream. So in the case of Jim Jones, which I know we're going to get to in detail, they were in Ghana. Guyana. Guyana. Oh, Ghana's a different place, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were in Guyana, so they were way outside the mainstream. So they didn't have people checking up on them. And right. it's, it's the isolation factor is huge. Yes. If the religious group that you uh, subscribe to um, lives on a ranch together, it may be a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Or right. out in the woods. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or in Guyana. Right. Um, there's some other, I guess, kind of giveaways that become less and less apparent the more immersed you become. Um, 
and that would be uh, deception in recruiting, right? Yeah. Um, thought reform techniques, which, although very controversial, um, are believed to be real and can have an, an, an effect on a person's outlook. Yeah. Right? We'll get into that as well in much more detail. And we've got into it big time in brainwashing. We did. Mm-hmm. And and that's um, a lot of those are very similar. You brainwashed me. I did, remember? I do. You were no longer a hipster. That's right. But I still have the goatee. Uh, good out, outside is, is bad. Whoever's on the inside is good. Right. That's a huge hallmark. There's like a real us and them, a clear divide between yeah, us and them. very much. Which can lead to a lot of um, feelings of persecution, paranoia, and um, generally an idea that, or that's, I guess, generally supported by the idea that um, since most destructive cults are religious in nature, mm-hmm. uh, that the in-group, the cult, yeah. is saved and everybody outside, the bad people, are all damned to hell. Right. So let's talk about the, the leader himself. The leader? Yeah. Well, uh, they're usually very charismatic. Yeah, very charming. They can turn on the world with a smile, right. or at least their cult with yeah. a smile. Sure. They, uh, which gets people you know, very much readily able to follow them without question. Um, they're very devoted. They don't question the leader. They don't question what the leader tells them to do. They, you know, this is once you're in. Not you know. Initially, there may be questions, but after the thought reform takes place, mm-hmm. well, you're the, in. The 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 reason for thought reform is to get rid of those questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are typically either say they're God and considered God or the Messiah, or that they are the only path to God. They're, right. They're uh, prophets essentially. Yeah, they have some sort of religious designation. Yeah. Right. Singular religious designation that no one else in the cult has but them. Sure. Which means it's whether the leader, yeah, and <laughs> you can't really topple the leader unless you too are a prophet. Which I imagine that's got to be a surprising day for everybody in the cult when, you know, maybe a number two or three in command goes, "You know what? I just found out that I am a prophet as well." Oh, right, and the leader's like, um, "Yeah, trouble brewing." <laughs> yeah, the other important thing here too, I thought was interesting that typically cult members are devoted to the leader and not the, even the leader's ideas. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like, you know, Jim Jones, they worship Jim Jones. Right. Not his Christian ideals. Right. Because, as pointed out, um, Jim Jones uh, and David Koresh, who is the leader of the Branch Davidians, Mm -hmm. um, both started out in in what we would consider mainstream religious groups. Right. Jim Jones was a pastor, Christian pastor. He was. uh, The Disciples of Christ was his original Christian group. And David Koresh's was, um, he was originally in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, was he? Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that cult leaders become cult leaders is that they are often overly enthusiastic, maybe. A little uh, too pumped. In their mainstream religious groups. Yeah. They freak their mainstream religious groups out. <laughs> Pretty much. And they're like, you need to get out of here. But their ideas or their charisma or whatever there's something about them that makes other members of the church go i'm going with this guy yeah splinter off create your own cult yeah no longer mainstream so you're cult yep and in the case of uh, koresh he was um showed some instability and some of the things that he was influencing some of the the youth in the church they said no we don't like what you're telling the kids, so you need to get out of here. Yeah, and we Said, don't like that you're touching yeah. the kids, so you need to get out of here. I'm going and I'm taking the kids with me. Yeah. Apparently also, um, uh, not Jim Jones, but the uh, prophet Mo, 
who uh, kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. Apparently he oh, yeah. and David Koresh, and I was reading this, I only saw it in one place, but I didn't get a chance to, to really cross-reference it, um, that both of them had their first sexual experiences with uh, far, far older women. Really? Like Koresh's um, first uh, encounter with a woman uh, was with a 76-year-old. <laughs> and well, I mean, you laugh, but I mean like- How old was he? I think he was a teenager. Wow. But um, what's strange is both of them went- the opposite way after that. Like, Koresh's second wife was 14. Right. Um, the prophet Mo kidnapped Elizabeth Smart, and I think she was, like, 14 as well. So um, there's... That's interesting. I think that's something for a deeper study, don't you think? Like, if you're sexual encounter... Yeah, yeah. So the very old person... At the very least. And you become a cult yeah. leader, that's probably a pretty good predictor. You're going to take very young wives, yeah. and the FBI is going to come set your compound on fire. At the very least, it shows you might be unstable. Sure. I don't know if they would just see that and say, hey, variety is the spice of life. Or, I mean, surely you've seen Harold and Maude. Oh, yeah. So it can go really well. So uh, you're right, Josh. A lot of times the cult leaders are former religious, mainstream religious uh, leaders or members. Right. Not always. In the case of like a Charlie Manson. Right, who who personifies the huckster you're talking about. Yeah, he wasn't a religious dude at all. He was um, psychotic and emotionally <laughs> disturbed from the time that he was a young kid. And a thief and a vandal and eventually a rapist and pimp and fraud. Just a, a pretty big jerk in general. Pretty big jerk. Yeah. So he was let out of prison, um, as everyone knows, at one point in the late 60s. Uh, went to San Francisco. All the hippies were very susceptible to his charms. Yeah. His little short midget redneck charms. <laughs> right. Because when you're on acid, Charlie Manson makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know? I bet. You know, I never heard him talk until later in life. And when I did, I went, I had no idea he was such a redneck. Oh, yeah. I heard his accent and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. He, this is the guy that got people to murder all these folks. And that, that forced, like, labored stare, like, yeah. look at my eyes and it's just laughable. Yeah, it is. Sorry, Charlie. But it worked in his case and the Manson family famously killed, um, how many people? Seven people. Including yeah. Roman Plansky's wife. Most of them at, at, the, at Sharon Tate's house. Yeah. Sharon Tate, yeah. And he didn't do it himself, which is, you know, one of the traits of a good cult leader is you can get people to do things for you. Yeah, but um, the the uh, U.S. prosecutors still, or the California prosecutors, still managed to get him put away for life, even though he yeah. didn't kill anybody. Just the ordering of these murders, they got him pretty good. I think the state of California was more than willing to keep... Charlie Manson locked up forever, though. That's well, he's pretty notorious for in his parole hearings just saying really crazy things. Still, where they're like, "Okay, yeah, you clearly don't have any interest." I remember being a kid and like I never understood that when I when I came to understand there was a Charlie Manson and right. that, like he did say the stuff and at parole hearings, like why would you do that? And my dad told me like if he gets out of prison, he's dead. Yeah, and now I don't think that that's necessarily true. Although he probably would still believe that. Um, but he's probably so institutionalized, he wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, because he was in jail for years off and on, you know, from his teenage years on. Sure. He has a cell phone. They caught him with a cell phone recently. Really? In jail. What are you calling? I don't know. Wouldn't me. Are you sure? I'm positive. So uh, Manson referred to himself as God and Satan both. Well, his followers did. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Squeaky from? Yeah. Apparently, after Charlie was locked up... Um, Squeaky Frome decided that his plight was 
losing media attention. Oh, that Charlie's Play. Yeah. Charlie's Play. Um, and so she uh, tried to shoot Gerald Ford. Yeah. And it definitely got attention again. Sure. I think that that, if anything, if, if the murders didn't cement the Manson family uh, into the American psyche forever, Squeaky Frome managed to, to finally put the glue in the bone, as it were. With the attempted presidential assassination? Yeah. Yeah. And she also carved an X in her forehead on the courthouse steps. Yes. And Manson still has the swastika on his forehead. It's tough to get rid of. Yeah, just ask uh, the inglorious bastards. Right, yeah. So, uh, Josh, yes. Uh, let's talk about recruitment. Yeah. What kind of a person would fall for this? Clearly, a raving lunatic is the only person who could become a, full, a, a cult member, right? Wrong. What? <laughs> and scene. <laughs> we uh, a lot a lot of times you think of them as mentally ill, but they've done studies, and apparently there's only a slightly higher incidence of mental instability in cult members than you and me. Well, mental illness, at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the uh, than in the the regular population, what they have found that most people in the normal population don't have that cult members usually have in common is that when they were recruited, it was during a particularly stressful period in their life. Yeah. You know that scale of stressful life events like death of a, a spouse, mm-hmm. divorce, um, death of a child. Adolescence. Ad- yeah, that's that's up there really far, isn't I'm sure. it? Um, any of those make you, while you're going through them, a better cult recruit than you would normally be. You've been stressed out lately. Oh, I just joined up. Are you, are you ripe for the picking? Are my robes in my bag? <laughs> That's not true, because you're not any of these other things, uh, like gullible. Well, you don't think I am? No, of course not. Gullibility is a trait. You know, you got to believe what's going on here pretty easily. Um, usually you're unassertive. Yeah. Uh, you're disillusioned with what's going on around you, and you're looking for some answers. Right. Uh, you're a little naive. Maybe. That's true. And uh, you're looking for some spiritual meaning in your life. Right. Maybe. And I'm utterly and totally dependent. You are? <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Well, that's on the list, at least. Yeah, that's true. Um, and there are actually places where people who fit these bills are going through a period in time in their life that's rough, mm-hmm. tend to hang out more than, say, the average bar or whatever. That would be a self-help group, yeah. a grief support group. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, any group where people sit around in a circle and there's crying, right. that's a pretty good place. You you want to be on the lookout for a cult recruiter there. Yeah, good point. Uh, and uh, one of the, you're you're probably not going to exit the um, conference room in the local community center after your grief support group and you know see some guy in a robe handing you a flower. <laughs> it would be it'll be much less obvious than that. Yeah, it'll probably be someone who's a member of the group. Yeah, that's one of the ways, if you say, I would never fall for that, think about if someone you knew personally um, invited you to a meeting where you were going to talk about uh, better ways to uh, help the community, raise some money for a, a new boys club. Right, and you happen to be at church, and yeah. you're, you know, one of the deacons vouched for the person who was talking. You wouldn't even question them, right? Yeah, that's how it happens sometimes. Or if you were at a grief support group and somebody said, hey, you know, this is peanuts compared to this other grief support group. This this group of people have um, all been through this tragedy, right. and they are 
um, really great at getting people past the stages of grief. So you should come and hang out. You should try this other one, too. Um, there's a lot of deception associated with cult recruitment. As a matter of fact, it's pretty much the hallmark of it, right? Yeah, initially, they don't tell you what in the world you're in for uh, because you probably wouldn't go. Probably with not. With dough. <laughs> right. Uh, they isolate you uh, from the get-go with um, their meetings, usually. They'll hold meetings at times mm-hmm. where you may normally be with your family. Dinner. Dinner time. Uh, they might hold it at a place, like a retreat, get you away for the weekend. So you're hearing nothing but the cult's ideas and views for a weekend, which makes it seem, during that 48 hours, a lot less weird. Yeah, and you've got no feedback. At, right. You've got no feedback from the real world. Yes, because once you go back out in there and you haven't fully joined up, so you're still going to and from your house mm-hmm. to these meetings, which are, remember, grief support meetings yeah. that have a lot to do with you know religion that you hadn't noticed before, but it's cool. Um, you're asked when you go back home not to talk about the group until you understand it more, yeah, until like you know more judge about it. it. You know, they yeah. don't, you don't want to hear anyone poo-pooing it just yet. because They won't get it. Yeah, they won't get it. And so you don't, and like you said, your feedback structure is narrowed. So you don't have anything but self-doubt. Your doubts that would normally be of the group are now doubts about yourself because why, why, why do you always have so, such a, a tendency to just criticize everything? I mean, look at all these people. They're all happy and smiling and they, they, <laughs> they seem fine. Yeah. Why can't you just get on board? Mm-hmm. And then you're suddenly a lot more susceptible to joining up. Yeah. Well, and at that point, that's when they can hit you with the, the, Proper mind control techniques. Brainwashing 101. Should we go over it? Yeah. I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are hearing this that didn't listen to brainwashing. But you know what? If you have it, you should go back and listen to it. Sure. Twice. Three times. <laughs> in a place in the woods where we'll meet you. <laughs> it's If you play it backwards, the location <laughs> will be revealed. We're laughing, but nothing about this is funny, except the things that we're saying. Um, thought reform, brainwashing, coercive persuasion, is this is the key here. It is the systematic breakdown of your sense of self. And it's similar to what you do in, uh, let's say, Guantanamo Bay, maybe, when you're interrogating a prisoner. Sure. Similar techniques. Uh, you could also make a pretty strong case that it's similar to what happens to you in boot camp. Yeah, And the article goes out of its way to defend boot camp by saying there's three huge differences. One, the military is accountable for its actions. Yeah. Destructive cults tend not to be sure. until, like, you know, the government's at your door. Um, recruits who join up are making an informed decision. They know that they're going to be going in to be broken down and built up as a soldier. Yeah, I'm going to look and dress like the other people and uh, eat the same meals and all that kind of thing. And then um, there's a set period of time. Yeah. It's not for the rest of your life or until you eat that applesauce. It's fill the GI Bill and you're done. Right. So, Chuck, let's talk about the, the techniques. Well, they're going to deceive you. They're going to trick you. Uh, they're going to hide all signs <laughs> of... Ill- you sounded really paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to hide all signs of anything illegal or immoral at first. So you're buying into it. You're not. All, you're also not going to get the full picture of what the cult's about. Like we said, that grief support group is not yeah. really what it is. Uh, sometimes they might even, uh, you know, alter your consciousness a bit with like meditation or drugs yeah. or chanting that kind of thing, make you vulnerable. Yep. 
We already talked about isolation. That's one of the biggest parts of it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be physical isolation, although it can be. Patty Hearst famously, yeah. um, when she was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liber- uh, Liberation Army, um, she was apparently put into a closet for like weeks. Yeah. And she was berated and yelled at, and like her um, her family's capitalist trappings were um, criticized, and she came out like, "Let's go rob a bank." Boy, I wonder. I bet the late sixties and seventies people were probably. I mean, that's when Jonestown, yeah, the SLA Manson family, the Moonies were huge then. Yeah, they're still around, but they're they were really big in the seventies. Oh yeah, um, it makes you wonder. I, I don't. I don't think we have any idea yet about what part of that period of history right. made it so readily available for cults to pop up. Because yeah. it happened in the 19th century too. There were a lot of cults um, that came about for some reason, just out of the blue. I wonder what it was. I bet the internet helps nowadays. Just access to information. Right, but can think about it. Like you don't think of cults being like pervasive these days, like they were in the seventies, do you? Yeah, no, no, not at all. So I mean, like, what was it about the late sixties and the the throughout the seventies that made them so? No, I meant the lack of internet back then. Oh, gotcha. The lack of information. Gotcha. They were way more in the dark about things, and and of course, in Manson's case, he had a bunch of you know acid head hippies that right. Like, yeah, man, you seem pretty cool. You're into the Beatles. Plus, Pac-Man fever hadn't hit yet. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so isolation, like we said, is huge. It's one of the biggest uh, hallmarks of thought reform because when you don't have anyone around you, except for people that are doing the same thing you're doing, mm-hmm. it seems completely normal. Sure. Um, there's also a complete and utter dependency that's created in the member, right? Yeah, that's the big part, too. Um, if you can basically... If you can get somebody inspired to idolize the leader, mm-hmm. then the leader's message that, hey, you belong to this group and, and here's what we do, uh, is paramount, right? Yeah. It creates a sense of dependency, especially when the leader says, by the way, this group is your family now. Right. Don't talk to anybody else. You don't need to interact with the outside world. We mm-hmm. grow our own food here or we do our own things. We educate our own children. Um, the, the cult becomes your life and everybody needs a life. Yeah. And especially if you're already predisposed to uh, a real sense of belonging or a need for a sense of belonging. Yeah. You're going to buy into this a lot more easily and this dependency will be, uh, induced even more readily. Yeah. Well, and what they do is they hit you with the one-two punch. They show you, Lots of love, but they also uh, offer lots of guilt and shame if you uh, are dancing around, talking to your family or things like that. Yeah. They shame you. They guilt you. And then when you say, God, you know what? You're right. Uh, it's about the leader. Then they reap the love back onto your head. Right. And, you know, you're like, wow, these people, this is where it's at. They really, really care about me. Right. Because, again, if you have a uh, a need to belong and all of a sudden, like, the members of the group are turning their back on you, not really talking to you, just kind of treating you coolly, mm-hmm. that's going to have an enormous impact on your psyche. Yeah. And you're going to go ahead and abandon any doubts or whatever it was that made them turn their backs on you so you can get their approval again and be loved. Yeah, you're striving for acceptance, basically. That's pretty deep dependence. Huge. Uh, the other thing is that the time clock is very controlled. It's not like, oh, the Branch Davidians just live in this compound and you just wake up every day and kind of do what you want. It's 
Breakfast is it from eight to eight thirty. Right. Uh, Bible study is from nine thirty to nine forty-five. Uh-huh. You have free time for thirty minutes. Then we have lunch. Then you know every minute is accounted for. Right. Very very structured. Even, even during free time, you're still like talking about the leader's teachings. Yeah. Or- yeah. Something like that, and it's not like, did you watch American Idol last night? Right. The uh, the meals are all you know ready. You don't have to, a lot of people. This appeals to a lot of people because it's the decision making is taken away from you, and you're all of a sudden leading a very uh, peaceful lifestyle, sort of. Right. I don't have to think about anything. It takes the guesswork out of living. Yeah, a lot of people are into that. Some are, yeah. Um, and they make really good cult members, it turns out. I guess so. They're actually, at the very least, the least damaged of the cult members that are um, damaged by cults, right? Right. Um, Chuck, there's also a sense of dread, right? Yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention, though, and this is interesting to me, is that if you have a talent, a special talent that you're good at, oh yeah, they're going to devalue that and strip it away. They're going to take your guitar at the door, and basically what made you special before and the outside world is no longer applicable. Right, because you're, you're, you live for the leader. That's all. Uh, that there's something unusual about Heaven's Gate in the um, dependency part, where all members dressed exactly like yeah. gender was removed, like n- everyone was um, supposed to be basically asexual uh-huh. and genderless. Um, there were, of course, the famous like black Nikes that everybody wore. Yeah. But they very much interacted with the outside world. They had that uh, higher source web service. Yeah. Um, and they dealt with clients. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, apparently their clients were like, these are straight shooters. They were weird, obviously, but they were not, like, bad people. I'm sure Applewhite in a business meeting seems like a real affable guy to work with. Yeah, right. With. Yeah. He's very pleasant. Sure. But you look into those eyes, man. So there was that level of control where, like, if you had a meeting with <laughs> the higher source people, they were all dressed exactly alike, right. and you couldn't really tell who was the dude and who was the chick, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but at the same time, you were in a meeting with the higher source people. Right. That's very daring of, of a leader to allow that level of access yeah, to the true. outside world. Or at the very least, that's a lot of trust to show in your followers. Yeah, it's pretty unusual. Yeah. All right, so dread is where I interrupted you, I think. It's okay. Um, so tell me about dread. <laughs> well, dread is a very, very unusual sensation mm-hmm. in that you can experience dread on some sort of background level at all times. Right. You can care, even when you're happy, you can still have a sense of dread because dread basically is the idea that you have no idea what's coming around the corner and it's really possible that it's going to be bad. As a matter of fact, it's likely that what happens to you sooner than later is going to be very bad, right? Right, and is is the idea that the sense of dread is in the outside world and that's why you don't want to go out there? Yes, okay. um, either that or there's also a constant dread or anxiety that you're going to offend the leader, right. upset the group, and you're constantly striving to maintain great g- good relations right. with your with the group and yourself and among the group. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a sense of dread is just it's very unusual. Like it it can haunt you, and that is apparently one of the hallmarks of a cult. I don't know if it's uh, purposefully instilled, but apparently it's at the very least a huge byproduct among most people, especially, and you talked about ones who are just fine living the cult life. Right. They couldn't possibly understand this. But if you are, if you enter a cult in a, in a stressful period in your life mm-hmm. and you eventually come out of that stressful period, but now you're in the cult, your former personality and your new personality are going to conflict. Yeah. 
that creates a sense of dread, and that's why destructive cults can be so harmful to people. Right. Not not just mentally, but physically as well, because you're not supposed to walk around stressed out all the time. Right, right. It's bad for you. So the old you, that's the old you in the outside world. But you're not supposed to be thinking about the old you. Right. And you, by God, you better not talk about the old you or wonder what's going on in the outside world. So you're constantly right. pressing down natural thoughts in order to conform to the group. And you're just, you're there's just psychological havoc being wreaked on you yeah. constantly. You don't know which way is up. C- confusion creates uh, paralyzation a lot of times for these people because some of them, it said later in the article that it said some people work for years to get out of a cult, mm-hmm. but they're just paralyzed with fear, uncertainty, confusion, yeah. dread. Sure. And I think also probably um, the cult members already were predisposed to this kind of personality. Like, yeah. Don't like to make choices, like even small ones. Just not very confident, that kind of thing. But I, I, I would imagine like those problems are just exacerbated even further in a cult. I would think so. So, Josh, let's say you're in a cult. Uh, not all, cult, all cults are the same, but there are a few commonalities for sure. Um, you talk to people that you know. There's always interviews with people that get out of cults because you can get a lot of insight there, obviously. And plus, they're just sexy press. <laughs> it's very sexy press. Uh, they usually talk about uh, anxiety, fear. Um, Did I not say that? Being cut off from their family and friends, and basically a, 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 a ceasing of psychological growth. Yeah. No questioning, no no thinking on your own at all. Yeah. And uh, they don't realize this, of course, until they get out. But it's, well, it's not too late because they're out, but it's too late for Heaven's Gate. Although, I made the point before when we talked about Heaven's Gate. They're the only ones who know whether or not I they am. managed to escape these vessels. They may be partying on the other side of the hail bop. Yep. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about money. We we mentioned that Heaven's Gate uh, were had a successful web design business. Uh, some of them, because they need money, you can't operate. I mean, it's sort of like a business. You can't operate a, a cult without dough. Um, or tea. Or tea. <laughs> Uh, some of them are fraudulent, uh, tax evaders, stuff like that. Manson, I think they they were just cheap and hippies and yeah. stole things and and. But for the most part, when you enter a cult, you're basically surrendering your finances. And if you're a wealthy person, you're a very desirable cult member. Yeah, sometimes you have to donate a large sum or all of it. Yeah, and you don't need it anyway. So just go ahead and sell your house and come live with us. What do you well, need yeah, a house for? Earthly uh, desires you can leave sure. those behind. Exactly. So give them to me though, and we'll take care of it. Right. For exactly. You. <laughs> I'll, I'm I'm the signatory on your account now. Um, I think uh, that's probably the the most common way that cults finance themselves is through the members, right? Yeah. So let's say the stress has gotten to you. You're like, you know, I kind of got over adolescence. I'm 54 now, and I just don't feel right. I haven't felt right for 32 years. Right. Um, I think I'm going to leave this cult. There's the door, buddy. Okay, so is it that easy? Because as you saw in the Movementarian episode of The Simpsons, there was that whole, like, Doctor Who bubble. Uh Mole Man was, like, you know, setting the dogs loose on Marge. It was just, it was very dangerous. Like, anybody can leave at any time, but you really can't. So... Can you? Well, you can sometimes. Sometimes there are no uh, locked doors and barbed wire, and they uh, will just shame you and say, you know what, if you walk out that door, you're never coming back in. You're cut off 
from from your family, yeah, your new family. So they will shame you into staying longer. Mm-hmm. But the doors open. Uh, in the case of the Davidians, I had never heard of them. They preceded the Branch Davidians, evidently. Yeah. And they had a leader that said, the end of the world is coming on this date. Mm-hmm. And that date came and went, and a few people were like, eh, I think I'm out of here. And he said, no, 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 it's a new date. And then that date came and went, and then more people were like, eh, that kind of stinks. Right. That dude died, I think, and his wife took over mm-hmm. and said, I have a new date. <laughs> That date came and went, and by that time, there were just a handful of people left, and they're like, we're out of here. Yeah. Well, whatever. That's about it. So you can leave, in the case of the Davidians, um, but sometimes there are locked doors, and they don't let you out. Sometimes there are also bullets, too, in yeah. the case of Jonestown in Guyana. Not That's Ghana. a fascinating part of that story that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. Um, the shootout. Uh, what was his name? Congressman Leo Ryan, I think. Yes. He came and led a delegation to Jonestown to find out what was going on because some of his constituents were like, uh, our family just moved to Guyana with the People's Temple and a guy named Jim Jones. It's a little weird. We're kind of concerned. So he went to Guyana and apparently met with the, the People's Temple members and mm-hmm. 16 of them were like, I'm coming back to California with you. And the uh, some other members of the People's Temple followed them to the airport and opened fire on them yeah. and wounded 11 and killed uh, Congressman Ryan. Yeah, killed three reporters, one member, and Congressman Ryan. I thought it was just Congressman Ryan, really. Yeah, killed uh, five people total. Wow. And that's pretty much what triggered Jim Jones. Was like, it's like, it's hitting the fan. Yeah, <laughs> it's time for let's us get all the, to go. Let's get the flavor aid ready. Yes, and I'm glad you said that. Yeah, uh, we got killed in the brainwashing episode. We did. I will never, ever forget it. Um, <laughs> Kool-Aid was not what they drank. Apparently, Flavor-Aid is a British knockoff is of it? Kool-Aid, and they drank grape Flavor-Aid and filled it with Valium, um, Finnegan, and Cyanide. And that did the trick? Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell... The audience here, what I told everybody that emailed and said, it's Flavor-Aid. It's like, you know what, dude, it doesn't matter what it really was. The expression is, don't drink the Kool-Aid. And that's just, it's it, revisionist history, but no one says, don't drink the Flavor-Aid. You want the Brits to get all the all the attention? <laughs> Say, don't drink the Flavor-Aid sometime in public and just see what someone says. Yeah. Like, don't you mean Kool-Aid? Tell them that they're the, the high man on the totem pole. Right. Well, actually, hmm. Boy, you just told them, Chuck. Yeah, thanks. We're growing bitter in our old age. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's say it's not as easy to leave as just getting up and walking out. I would say it's probably somewhere between Jonestown and um, just getting up and walking out. In certain cases, there's something called deprogramming that you can pay a lot of money to a service mm-hmm. to go in and kidnap your son or daughter. What you are doing is wrong. You love your family. In the middle of the night, they will drag them out of this, uh, wherever they are, compound. Like, it's a kidnapping. Yeah, Like, they are kidnapped. And there have been lawsuits because that's one reason it doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. It's like a repo man, but for people. Yeah, they're repoing your your son or daughter. Right. Or it's not always a son or daughter, I guess. It could be a friend or relative. Otherwise, you know, not not a kid. Right. But you typically... You typically think of like a rich dad is sending in uh, right, someone sure. to kidnap his little teenage daughter. Yeah. So uh, they will do that. They will drag them out, and then they will begin a process of deprogramming, uh, basically by using ethical 
psychological techniques to combat the unethical ones that were used. Well, what they what they do often is give the the um, deprogrammee a crash course in thought reform. Yeah, like this is what's happened to you, right? And or or this is how cults brainwash people, right? Does any of this sound familiar? Uh-huh. Do you remember this, like years ago when you first went in? And right. That's supposed to kind of start to unlock this, um, this desire to not think any longer. Yeah. And then that's followed by uh, critical thinking questions, right? Yeah. You want it? To, do you want to encourage them to be independent with their thinking mm-hmm. and uh, praise them a lot when they start having their own original thoughts? Right. Because they haven't had them for so long. Yeah. And then maybe even dance out the little teddy bear from or the their hover be- bikes from their bedroom. Yeah, say, look at this. You remember a little bun bun <laughs> that you grew up with in in uh, Sheboygan? Wouldn't you like to go back with bun bun? <laughs> so Is that what you would do? Yeah, they'll parade out uh, some things from your past, maybe that might trigger uh, thoughts of your former life that you might have loved, even right at one point. And then all of a sudden you're like, bing, bang, boom, I'm not a cult member anymore. Well, that's deprogramming. That's the hardcore version. Well, yeah, and at the end of it you're like, okay, I'm good. But there's also exit counseling, which is a little more common. It's pretty much deprogramming without the kidnapping. Yeah. it's. I would imagine it's much more common these days, but it's got to be way harder because you have to make contact with the person, and if they're isolated, then that's... You have to convince them to come out. Sure, and, and you, yeah. I would imagine have very brief periods of, of time where you have the opportunity to talk to them alone and have even a chance to to get them to come out on their own. Yeah. Then you kidnap them. Right. Well, you made a joke a second ago, Josh, when you said, bing, bang, boom, they're out, we're all good. Yeah. That's not the case. No. It's just like any traumatic experience. Uh, many times they will suffer psychologically for years with depression, anxiety, paranoia, guilt, rage. Uh, one psychologist, uh, <laughs> it's a new line, psychologist said that uh, he calls it floating when you get out. Yeah. Kind of alternating between the former mind and the current mind. And yeah. It's very uncertain time. It's sad. Very sad. It's sad. Uh, imagine spending 10 years in a cult and then ultimately coming to feel like you just wasted and lost 10 years of your life. Yeah. Because if that... Um, what what was it psychological where you just stop growing psychologically yeah like that's that means that you just spent 10 years like not doing anything yeah, it's not 10 growing. wasted years that's terrible it is and then all the years after who, who however long it takes afterward right if oh, ever if ever um so as you can see cults are frequently destructive i i want to say and i'm sure you'll agree with me not all cults are destructive you said before, like even in a destructive cult, some people are like, "This is exactly what I need." Right? Tell me what shoes to wear. Tell me exactly how much gruel to eat every day. Yeah. When is breakfast? Exactly. Um, I want to go pick some lima beans, right? Right. But um, for the most part, you, I, I guess, you can understand why uh, a, a cult or destructive cult is called destructive cult. Now, even if they don't end in the mass suicide of nine hundred members. Yeah. You know. True. Um. You want to talk about some notable cult incidents? So we've hit Heaven's Gate. We've hit, uh, well, the Branch Davidians, as most people know, ended in a hail of gunfire and fire. Fire. Remember that image of that tank just shooting flames out of it? Yeah, man, we should do a podcast sometime on Ruby Ridge and the Branch Davidians. You got it. Two very dark spots of the Clinton administration. Oh, yeah. 
And there was a common thread, an FBI guy was involved in both of them, that apparently was a little trigger happy. Really? Yeah. I saw a great documentary on it. Well, let's do it. All right. Let's do it right now. Okay. Hey, did I mention to you oh, the guy, the Russian psycho eco-psychologist who was called out to Waco Mm-mm. because he had some um, sound oh, yeah, yeah. recording? I told you about him, right? And that was supposed to drive them out? Yeah. But if it went wrong, they, the FBI asked what would happen if the, if it went wrong. He <laughs> right. said they'll end up slitting each other's throats. <laughs> he did, was at Waco, too. Did they do it? They used it? No. Once he told them that, they oh, were like, oh. go back to Russia. Leave the killing to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, we talked about the SLA, Manson family. Did we yeah. leave anything be- big out? Uh, we did, man. We didn't talk about the Order of the Solar Temple. I don't know much about them. School me. The Order of the Solar Temple. You've heard of the Knights Templar? Oh, boy, have we. So they were like a, a modern sect based on them in Switzerland mm-hmm. and in Canada. And um, I think 53 members between the two countries were found dead, um, set on fire. Uh-huh. Like 680 years to the day after uh, the last Templar was burned at the stake. Um, was it the sun? Did the sun set him on fire? It wasn't. They uh-huh. thought it was a mass suicide, but when uh, autopsies were done, they found out that some of the people had like up to eight bullet holes in their head. <laughs> uh, some died from su- suffocation. Double some died it. from uh, overdose on um, narcotics. So it mass was murder. a m- murder-suicide. Some were suicides, but murder-suicide burning. Gotcha. That's a big tragedy. All right. Um, there's also uh, the Raelians. Have you heard of them? No. They are still around. They're a UFO cult. They're a doomsday cult, but they're not um, destructive. Like, they're never going to kill themselves. It's just not in their doctrine. But they follow a... Until they get a new doctrine. Well, they follow a um, leader named Rail, who is actually a French race car driver. Really? And... Almost all of the um, Raelians are like beautiful Frenchies, French and French Canadian people. They have an outpost um, pretty close by in Alabama. They have an amusement park or a theme park, a UFO theme park. And what their whole thing is, is the day is coming very soon where we are going to be visited by these other life forms who are benevolent. and we need to build an international space station to greet them. It has to have a um, like a dining table this long. They have like specs, like uh, the indoor swimming pool has to be this big, uh, up in space, right? And they're having a lot of trouble getting um, funding for this, uh, you can imagine. But they're kind of like a good time cult, not, a, attractive, not a death cult. Attractive French people. Mm-hmm. And they made headlines. You've heard of them for this. They made headlines years ago. Because um, they uh, claimed to be the first to clone a human baby for a Kentucky senator. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it, was them? It, it turned out it was a fraud. Yeah. Really? <laughs> but no, I mean, remember, everybody's like, holy cow. Like, yeah, yeah. They, the, the language they used in the press release made people think like, oh, right. wow, this is really something. But Well, Josh, let's just finish with saying that we've said he a lot in regards to cult leaders. Uh, most of them have been men, but oddly enough, many, many years ago, there were some female cult leaders. I heard. Uh, Joanna Southcott was uh, a 19th century British Christian sect, the Southcottians were, who followed her. And uh, she had a vision that she was going to give birth to a Messiah. She died in 1814, and they waited for days by her dead body for her to give birth. Yeah. 
Uh, finally, she started stinking, and they said, let's cut her open, see what's in there. There was nothing in there. So they said, uh, so the kid must have been born in heaven, spiritually. And some people believe that Shiloh, who was to be this child, is actually Prince William. Really? I always suspected there was a little something extra to him. <laughs> uh, there was someone named Anna Lee from Manchester. She was a, a female cult leader. She was a Quaker who rejected sex and uh, started the Shakers. Not the furniture movement, but the... Uh, some people don't say they're a cult, but... No, the Shakers are responsible for the furniture as well. Oh, they are? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they did a heck of a job then. Yeah. I love Shaker stuff. The Shakers, they were an offshoot of Quakers. Their big problem is, and it's, it, it's mentioned here, that um, they they look down on sex. Like, it's pretty much prohibited. Yeah, yeah. How do you keep a cult going, or any group going, if You're not you can't repopulate it? Yeah, so the Shakers are on very shaky ground, as it were, as far as membership goes, because they can't. Yeah, you not, have to recruit outside members. Yeah, there's very, very few of them now. And then uh, Margaret Peter uh, was in Germany in 1823, and her cult was sort of just her extended family, but they were all kind of nuts, and she was convinced the devil lived in her loft, and the devil needed a sacrifice, one of her sisters immediately hit herself on the head with a mallet, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the family beat her to death. Uh, the devil was still there, so Margaret said, hey, uh, why don't you crucify me, and I'll be resurrected. So they said, sure. Well, they crucified her, beat her to death, and she was not uh, resurrected in three days, Josh. No. And the police came and arrested them all. That's exactly right. And I think that was the end of that cult. So uh, ladies, we always like to give you your due. Yeah. That was Chuck, by the way. Chuck was like, what about female cult members? And did some research. So way to go, Chuckers. Um, there is some excellent stuff in the, at the end of the article, some actually great information and places you can go. If, you're, uh, if you have been in a cult, you are in a cult, or you have loved ones in a cult. And you should go visit some of those sites. Uh, one is called Refocus. And I won't read them all, but there, there are some places you can go to get help. Kidnap that kid. Nice. Uh, if you want to learn more about cults, um, you can type that in. There's a very comprehensive article on the site. Just type in C-U-L-T-S in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, that means it's time for what? Listener mail, right? As always. As ever. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Quick announcement. Okay. Uh, we are coming to South by Southwest. Josh, I know. And, Did you um, know? Yeah, in the fourth largest state in the union. That's right, Austin, that's not, Texas. That's not right. But we're uh, we're going to do a live podcast, and to attend, you need an interactive badge. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the Driscoll Hotel. Yeah. At 11 a.m. on Monday, March 14th. Yeah, and if you don't know how to spell Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-I-L-L. Yeah, it yeah. looks better with an E. But it's like Old West spelling of Driscoll. Right. So uh, we encourage you, if you have a badge, to come on down and see us, and there'll be a great podcast or. At least a mediocre podcast. Right. Followed by some Q&A. And really, you're not going to be out any money. You might be out an hour of your life. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And there may be sandwiches. We're not going to be providing, but there may be somebody with an extra sandwich there. So that alone should get you down there. That's right. If you're you're at South by Southwest, come check us out, right? Okay. Okay. Back to it. This is from Tim. Tim has a neat little thing. Okay. That is not the cult, as far as I know. Um, Hi, guys. I'm obsessed with making things and giving them to people. I draw daily, though I think making art is kind of pointless in a day and age when people are hungry and living on the streets. Uh, Feeding people is more important than making paintings, amongst many other things. 
But I still find myself wanting to draw, so I'm constantly trying to make excuses for why it is socially acceptable to make art instead of helping people. But that is another tale. I decided to start a little project in which I would encourage people to give their sketchbooks away to other people who they don't know, with the incentive being that I would make them a drawing and send it to them. Unfortunately, despite uh, making flyers and internet distribution, my heart got crushed when not a single person responded. He didn't get any feedback on this. So we're going to help him out. Oh, okay. Uh, I want to create a different kind of currency, but it seems like no one cares. Everyone just wants money, and it really stinks. So uh, he started this thing. Tim did. It's uh, www.sendmeanything.wordpress.com. And I think the deal is, if you say, I am an artist and I will give away my sketchbook to a stranger, then Tim will send you an original drawing. That is very awesome. All for free. So he's doing a, kind of a cool thing here, and he says, The pen is mightier than the sword, and the tongue is mightier than the blade. Tim L. So, Tim, good luck at sendmeanything.wordpress.com. I hope you get some people swapping art soon. Seriously, friend. yeah. That is a great idea. And we want to hear your good ideas for um, projects that will help make humanity even slightly better. We definitely want to hear those ideas. Yeah, or if you were in a cult. And got out. That's, that's good stuff. I want to hear that. Okay, either one of those. Or if your cult had a good idea to make humanity even better, right. we want to hear that too. If you're still in a cult, say hi. Correct us big time too. Um, this is definitely an outsider's view because neither Chuck nor I have been in a cult as far as we know. Um, so if you are an ex-cult member, if you have an idea for a project that will better humanity, or you're still in a cult and you want to correct us, uh, send us an email to stuffpodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you